My name is Chuck Bolo. And I'm Diana Bolo. And you're listening to Reclamation Worship. My name is Jason Allen, and I'm the host of Reclamation Worship, the podcast devoted to reclaiming a biblical view of worship for the church. As always, thank you so much for joining me for this episode of Reclamation Worship. Today's guests are Chuck and Diana Volo. Chuck is pastor at Gospel of Grace Community Church in Lancaster County, Pennsylvania, and his wife, Diana, is the founder and executive director of SWAN. SWAN's mission is to provide life-changing intervention for children whose parent or parents have a history of incarceration by mentoring them through the disciplines of music lessons and performance. I will be linking to SWAN's website in the show notes of this episode. You can find that at reclamationworship.com. And I would encourage you to reach out to Diana if you have any questions. This is a phenomenal ministry. SWAN has touched a lot of lives, and you're going to hear an example of that in this episode. You'll also recognize the last name Volo from a guest I've had on a couple of times, Jeremy Volo. Former professional soccer player, now pastor and seminary student, I uh, had the great opportunity to talk with Jeremy about athletics and worship, and I got a lot of great feedback on that episode, and I thought, how helpful would it be to talk with Jeremy's parents? I met Chuck and Diana at a conference back in January, and I was so encouraged by them, and I know you will be too. So without further delay, let's head on over to the interview. Chuck and Diana, it's so good to have you on Reclamation Worship. Thanks for having us, Jason. Let's begin our time together by you sharing your testimonies of how the Lord saved you. Okay. Diana, you want to go first? Sure. I can share my story. I was raised in a city and um, was raised in a, a, in a Christian faith that had a lot of traditions and rules. And so I was very dutiful and I followed those traditions and rules and uh, was taught well in the system. But when I became um, a young adult, like in my early teens, the system started falling apart for me. I was seeing a lot of inconsistencies and there were a lot of mysteries about the faith that I couldn't understand. And it was actually meant to be mysterious in many ways. So um, some of my deepest questions weren't being answered. And um, although I thought I loved God. Um, I didn't really know how to really. And um, so it just started becoming more and more meaningless to me. And unfortunately, the system was such a strong one that when the system of religion started crashing, uh, God went down with it Mm. because he was so intertwined with the system. Mm -hmm. And so then I found myself in Philadelphia at college. And I was, uh, I was studying to be a violin performer. And many of my colleagues, amazingly, were what they called themselves born-again Christians. And I wasn't even sure what a born-again Christian was. Mm. Um, but they befriended me, and I felt really comfortable with them. They were safe people to be with. They were cheerful. They were, when I hung with them, I didn't think, you know, I didn't feel like they were going to do something that I would feel uncomfortable doing. And I learned to trust them. Um, but I really distinctly remember them talking to each other about the Lord as if he was very meaningful part of their life. And if he was real 
And I remember one time sitting in orchestra with my violin on my lap, listening to their conversation about the Lord and thinking, wow, I'm jealous. Mm. Why is it that they have such a meaningful, close and joyful relationship with the Lord? And I don't. Wow. But they were very faithful to me. They were praying for me. They were witnessing to me. And long story short, uh, one time one of my friends sat down on a bench with me with the Gospel of John opened up. And he said, hey, let's read the Gospel of John. So we didn't get very far into the Gospel, and I really had no idea what it meant. Mm. And so that's when he shared the Gospel. That's when I understood, really, for the first time, that that God is holy Mm. and that I'm sinful. And I had no... Uh, trouble knowing that I was sinful. In fact, sometimes as a child, I was plagued with a guilty conscience and really fearful about it. Didn't know what to do about it. I thought I had to suffer a certain amount of time in purgatory or something for my sins to eventually fade away. But what he explained was that Jesus Christ came, who was, was he was God and he was man. He lived a perfectly sinless life. And what he did on the cross was what I needed to understand that he He laid his life down on the cross. He placed the sins of all those who would ever trust in him as Savior and believe on him Mm. savingly. Mm. And then God the Father poured out the wrath and judgment upon Jesus, who was bearing the sins of the world, upon Jesus. Mm. And so those sins were fully punished on Jesus when he suffered and died on that cross for me. And then the most amazing part of that explanation and story right from the gospel of John was that if I repent of my sins and believe Jesus as my savior, that I had eternal life. I was completely forgiven. Mm. And at that moment, Jason, that I knew that that was the only thing that I ever heard that made sense. Wow. I knew I couldn't earn or deserve my salvation. Mm. And I knew if I had to suffer and uh, intermediate place such as purgatory, I'd be there forever. Right. Uh, I just couldn't pay for my sins. Mm. And uh, so to realize that it was once and done, Jesus paid the price and God so loved the mm. world that he gave his only begotten son, that if I just repent and believe in Jesus, that I'd have eternal life. What good news. That was great. Wow. Wow. And you know, Jason, from that point, I started reading the scriptures and it was like a light went on and mm. the scriptures started really uh, meaning something to me. I understood them much better and I wanted to tell others about the good news. So mm. it was a wonderful turning point in my life and I was Praise indeed born again. Wow. So you're a very accomplished musician. The school that you went to, was it a Christian school? You're, no, you're... it wasn't. It was wow. a school in the city of Philadelphia called the, the Philadelphia College of Performing Arts. Okay. And God in his mercy just surrounded me by Christian friends. And then just a couple blocks down was this wonderful church called 10th Presbyterian Church. And James Montgomery Boyce was the pastor. Wow. He was the first evangelical pastor I ever heard preach. Oh, my goodness. Wow. He had a great influence on my life, and I was able to thank him. Wow. How how kind of the Lord to put you in that context. I mean, that is just... What a beautiful story. Thank you so much. Well, Chuck, what about you? How were you saved? Yeah, I was raised in a, a a very loving home in northern New Jersey, very loving parents. Um, I'm the firstborn of, of four children. Um, my my father was, my family was nominally Roman Catholic. Okay. And so I performed my first Holy Communion when I was six or so. And frankly, from my father's standpoint, that was kind of enough religion. 
And we were on our own after that. And um, by my mid-teen years, though, I was looking for answers. And so I would go, I would walk by myself across town to the Roman Catholic Church to go to Mass on Sunday mornings. And I'm grateful to the Roman Catholic Church for teaching me the the bigness of God. There's a sense of reverence and awe I had for God. Mm. I also learned the truth about God being a trinity and Jesus being God and man. Mm. But as I was going to Mass each week, I wasn't getting soul-satisfying soul answers. Um, I, I just wasn't getting the message of the Bible. And I would walk home just as empty in my soul as when I went looking for God. Mm. Well, in God's goodness and providence, in those mid-teen years, which was later high school for me, I met some friends. We were playing ice hockey on a pond and met some some friends about my age. And we shared an interest in fishing in the outdoors. And I befriended them. And they were born again Christians, or at least they were from families that were born again. For the first time in my life, I was exposed to a church. It happened to be a Baptist church where for the first time I was interacting with, with kids from the youth group and adults who claimed to be born again. And like Diana, I was impressed with their lives. There was something wholesome about them, in particular their prayers. When they prayed, even thanking God for a meal, it was as though God was a real person rather than empty, cold prayers that seemed to bounce off the ceiling. They seemed to know this God in a personal way. Mm. And that impressed me. And I said, there's something they have that I don't have and something they have among themselves that I'm not a part of. They were friendly toward me, but I, I kind of knew I was on the outside looking in. Mm. Now, I wish I could say the lights went on right away, but they didn't. I went off to college at a fairly young age of 16 and about 200 miles from home, away from those friends and Christian influence. My first year of college was a good year. Um, Again, I had loving parents. I I was a a good student. I, I played sports and I had friends. I joined a fraternity. But my second year of college, I was sinking into a deep depression simply because I I just didn't know God. I was alienated from God. And um, it was the worst year of my life. I I was usually a good student. There was one course. I didn't even go to the final exam. I didn't care. And that was unusual for me. But I was so depressed. I had a large motorcycle. And this was the hippie era. And I was actually thinking as soon as school let out in May of of just running away Mm. to California. It, it wasn't because I was rebellious. I, was, I didn't want to hurt my parents. I'm a firstborn son. My parents would tell you, you know, Chuck was a good boy. But I was so depressed, so lost, so confused that I was just thinking of running away from it all. A wonderful thing happened on May 1st, 1970. I was going down to the Chesapeake Bay to study for a final exam with a fraternity brother on the back of my motorcycle. We were going around a gully, and I said, jump off. And when I started the motorcycle... Flames came out of the carburetors and my motorcycle caught fire and burned up. Mm. A a very momentous event. Friends from my fraternity came out in a pickup truck, hauled us back to campus, but my escape route was 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 ruined. Wow. All I can say is that first week of May 1970, it's coming up on 50 years, somehow on that college campus, Washington College in Chestertown, Maryland, Jesus Christ finally broke through. I realized that Jesus was the answer. I'd seen it in my friends. And my life sometime in that first week was was transformed. Mm. The depression lifted. This peace of God came over me. 
And the three things that changed were I had the assurance that my sins were forgiven. I had this hunger for the Bible. I went home to New Jersey. We hunted for a Bible. We didn't have one in our home. I found one in the glove compartment of a Mayflower moving truck that I used to drive during the summers. Waiting for, and, and the Bible became alive to me. And the third thing was I needed to tell other people about Jesus. I was not in anybody's face about anything uh, previously, but all of a sudden I realized Jesus Christ is the key to everybody's eternity. And even though a fairly timid person, I, I was bold to tell everybody I could, my fellow college students, truck drivers, that they needed Jesus. Mm. And it's been almost 50 years. Jesus Christ has given me the assurance all those years that, that he's my savior. He paid the price in full, as Diana said, for my sins. And the peace of God has been with me ever since. And I believe will be into all eternity. Wow. Praise God. Wow. I just, I love hearing uh, the Lord's kindness that has been uh, expressed and, and delivered to you both. And uh, mm-hmm. thank you so much for sharing your testimonies. Sure. So encouraging. So we are going to um, get into uh, talking about SWAN. So Diana, in 2011, you formed SWAN. So why don't you tell us uh, what that is? And, and I will be linking to uh, the website and to some supplementary information in the show notes of this podcast so that those who are interested could find out more. But um, share with us what SWAN is and how it came about. Well, thank you for asking. SWAN is an acronym that stands for Scaling Walls a note at a time. And I'm a professional musician and a music teacher and over the years uh, had just realized, and there's so much research that underscores how music is one of the finest ways to help children succeed. Mm. It helps them neurologically, emotionally, socially, scholastically, so many ways, and even physically. It relieves stress and helps children. So I've had that experience as a music teacher all those years. And um, I was coming up on the years where I was an empty nester. And at that time, Chuck was also, as a pastor, he was uh, counseling criminal offenders. So when we were involved in that somewhat together, I was starting to see the impact that it has on a child when a parent or parents go to prison. Mm. And there's Mm. a, a traumatic it's a traumatic event for children. Mm. Uh, it, it impacts their, them um, behaviorally and scholastically. Uh, they're often dealing with homelessness, abandonment, and poverty or deepening poverty. And um, <clears throat> so the question was, you know, here I had an empty nest. I'm a musician. And the question was, how can I help these children? Mm. So I started doing a little research and realized there's quite a lot that's being done for those who are incarcerated, but very little that's being done for their children. Mm. And I knew that music could help. Mm. So that's how Swan was birthed. So what we do is we provide free music lessons and mentoring for children specifically whose parents who are affected by parental incarceration. We're actually a support group for those children. And I'm very grateful to say that as we teach in the public schools in Lancaster City, okay. we are a, because we are an after-school program, we're able to share the gospel and spiritual truths. Wow. And the children really love that time. Uh, they don't want to miss the story time, they call it. Right. But we'll take some scripture from the Old or New Testament and point it to the gospel. Mm-hmm. And then we'll pray and we'll, we'll ask them for their requests. They, they just really love that time. So... Wow. That's what I do. The impact has been tremendous. Uh, In some cases, uh, Jason, I really believe it's been life-saving. Wow. Wow. 
Fantastic. So for, so what does an average meeting look like at the school? So you're, you're meeting once a week or is it monthly? How, how does that look? Well, we do right now we're, we're working once a week with the children during the school year and during the summer, we're able to give a, a number of the children a five week camp within that. That's a full day of camp. Wow. It's actually inside a, a school building and uh, it comes to about 120 hours. We're able to give them during the summer. Wow. Our goal is to be able to give more than one lesson a week to the children because um, not only does the music actually physically, emotionally, scholastically help them, but performance helps a great deal. It just uh, helps their cognitive and non-cognitive skills. It gives them confidence. Um, it teaches them how to relate socially to others and present themselves. Hmm. So wow. We'd love to give the children more and it's called swan4kids.org. Okay. And I will, yeah, I will be linking to that. So you are there in Lancaster city or county? Okay. We are in the city. Okay. Is it scalable? Is this something that others can do across the country in their community? Yes. It's a very simple business model. We don't even own a building. I just send subcontracted music teachers into the schools and uh, they do a beautiful job, and we have the children performing. We'd love to have it scaled, but our goal in the next couple of years or so is just to build such a strong program in Lancaster City that it would attract other nonprofits across the country wow. to model something after ours. Because um, one in 14 children in the United States is act- actually impacted by incarceration. Wow. And in the city of Lancaster itself, on any given night, there would be 4,600 children, it's estimated, to have a parent in prison that very day. Wow. Um, Wow. So it's a problem that's not going away, and sadly, it does impact the whole child in a traumatic way. Is there one story in particular that sticks out to you that uh, you could share with us about um, a child that you've ministered to? Well, surely there are many, um, but I think of Brianna. Brianna uh, was one of our first SWAN students. I met her when she was 10 years old. She was homeless. Uh, Her grandmother and and Brianna were just couch surfing. Mm -hmm. And um, through that year, there was a string of tragedies. And sadly, her grandmother died during that school year. She then got um, passed along to to an uncle next of kin who happened to be a felon. And Sadly, he was dealing drugs. He was actually taking drugs and become, had become extremely paranoid because of that. Mm-hmm. And he was also doing some human trafficking. So that was the environment she was being raised in. She was, um, it, it was a, it's been a long string of trauma. Mm-hmm. But we gave her voice lessons. And, you know, the interesting thing is when, because we're made in the image of God, we are all gems. And yet the circumstance of trauma and poverty and abandonment makes a child look like they're nothing. Mm. Um, like they're, they feel like trash. Mm. Uh, and when you start to work with a child like Brianna, what we realized is she's brilliant. Mm. She had the most beautiful singing voice mm. we discovered with good vocal technique. Within the first year when she was 10 years old, right after her grandmother died, this little girl was standing on this pitcher's mound at our, our minor league baseball stadium, singing solo. The, wow. The Within six months after that, she was standing on stage and sang a solo 
um, at the convention center when Dr. Ben Carson was standing on stage. Wow. And now I can say as a senior, she's a senior in high school. She is already admitted and accepted into Edinburgh University where she wants to be a voice and a music and art therapist. Wow. Wow. Yeah, she's wow. it's a wonderful success story. Praise God. That is so yeah. cool. Is this something that the local church can partner with? Um, or you, because you mentioned that you send contracted uh, musicians into this local school. So yeah. is there a partnership or a bridge between the local church and Swan? Yes, we do have some partnerships and we would love many more because um, and the first partnership we would love for everyone is primarily prayer. Mm. Um Every single one of our children needs uh, the gospel. About 52% of our children have never heard anything about spiritual things. They don't wow. even know that they were made by God. Mm. Um, so, and every one of our teachers is sharing those gospel truths and biblical truths with the children. So any musicians from churches um, would be welcome. Certainly the prayer support. And so I often ask a church, would you just have me in to your small group? And I'll introduce you to our neighbors, your neighbors. Yeah. And would you just pray for them every time you get together? Because mm. prayer is, honestly, it is the most powerful and important part of SWAN. Mm. That's fantastic. Well, um, I look forward to others finding out about this. Uh, anything else that you would like to share about SWAN? Any any other thoughts about what the future might look like? And you did mention that uh, you hope it's uh, so successful that others take note uh, of what's happening there in Lancaster City. Yes. Well, like I said, you know, on, uh, one in 14 children in the United States is impacted by tr uh, the trauma of having a parent incarcerated. Uh, that's going to impact their behavior in a, in a negative way and their scholastics. So um, what can happen is that they'll often, the children will face repeated suspensions and mm -hmm. even expulsions. And yet the music uh, we have heard testimonies from guardians. You know, we've had tragedies where children have come, walked home from school and walked into seeing a parent in a crime scene, maybe dead. Mm. And um, you can imagine how that's going to impact their ability mm. to cope in life. And so music has turned some of these children around. It's been a primary coping mechanism that's really been effective. Wow. So we just want to get the word out. We want to be able to go from 200 students to 400 students and then uh, serve many, many more in Lancaster and then have other counties copy what we're doing. Wow. As, as uh, superintendents across the country become more trauma-informed, mm -hmm. they really do covet uh, programs like SWAN because they understand the power of music. There's a lot of research. Great. Good deal. Yeah, I, I just think of how um, instrumental, no pun intended, uh, music is in scripture and, uh, and how uh, the Lord certainly uses it uh, in our lives daily uh, to, um, to bring about worship and, and, uh, and, and praise for his name. So uh, what a beautiful tool uh, to be carrying into the local schools and uh, using in the lives of these children. So praise God for you and this ministry. I'm Thanks just so thankful asking. to hear about it. Absolutely. I'd love to share Swan stories. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Chuck, are you a musician yourself? I, I'm not. Okay. All right. So your your involvement in Swan has been a little different, I suppose. Yeah. Uh, yeah it's been a privilege for me to support Diana. Um, again, she's doing this as an empty nester. Um, you know, she was devoted to our children, though a professional violinist. And in a real sense, she laid aside much of that 
to uh, to raise our children, although she did train our, our daughter to be a musician. And I, I, I bless God for her as a mom in the home. She was totally all in as a parent, but with an empty nest. And um, I like to say that I generally clean up a, after myself. I'm a pretty low maintenance husband. And, you know, the house can only be so clean. Right. And my wife, <laughs> uh, she's a great visionary and an entrepreneur. And, and the Lord has put this on her heart. And uh, I've been had a front row seat. I've supported it and just been blessed to see the many answers to prayer. My wife has become all the more a prayer warrior through this, and we have seen amazing answers, specific answers to prayer. Mm-hmm. Um, I think her patron saint has become George Muller, who, uh, whose autobiography she's read a couple of times, his journal about his orphanages. And mm-hmm. at one point she said to me, Chuck, my, my journal's beginning to look like his. Wow. In, in the answer, specific answers to prayer. And of course, we know that God has a heart for the orphan and the widow. And these are these, these deprived people are, are very much on God's heart. And so to invest in the orphans and children of the incarcerated are somewhat orphans is certainly... Most of my children are fatherless. Yeah. And um, so we believe we've captured the heart of God in this and, and God is is very much for this. And we've seen him undertake for this ministry. So it's been a great privilege for me to have a front row seat and to be supportive of Diana in this work. Wonderful. Fantastic. Well, I will, uh, again, be linking to this information and uh, would love for this podcast to play a part in seeing Swan grow and uh, and become, yeah, even uh, more prevalent um, and across the country. So uh, thank you so much for sharing that with me. Mm-hmm. So, um, as Diana said, Chuck, you're a pastor, and uh, you uh, have um, been instrumental in, uh, you, you and I had a, a great conversation at that conference that I, I met you both at, and I was so encouraged by you and um, and uh, wanted just to take some time to talk with you and Diana about uh, your parenting. And uh, again, as I mentioned at the outset, uh, so apparent in Jeremy's testimony, uh, mm-hmm. how you both informed his life and continually pointed him back toward God and helped him to see the importance of a life that is completely devoted to God. Um, and I continue to hear it in his voice today. Uh, mm-hmm. So I wanted to hear from you both and, uh, and talk about uh, how you parented your children. And uh, mm-hmm. so if we could uh, take some time to talk about mm-hmm. your parenting and uh, maybe what were the, the, um, big ideas that, that you both had in mm-hmm. uh, raising your children. Uh, what was the the framework or the structure uh, that uh, mm-hmm. you both agreed upon in discipling and, and raising your children? Oh, that's a good question. I think we want to say up front that anything good in us or our children is ultimately due to the grace of God. Praise God. Yes, He does use some things that we do right. But he also works in spite of our mistakes, (laughs) and we are not presenting ourselves as perfect parents by any means. Ultimately, we give glory to God for His grace. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, I think if if we were to outline it, um, we would say primarily as Christian parents, our greatest burden and concern for our children, as in the case of every genuine Christian, is for their spiritual well-being, for their salvation. And that was from the beginning, because we were both Christians at the start of our parenting, that was our great burden and concern. Mm. And to that end, I think we were concerned primarily to live a consistent life 
in front of our children, to be real, to be genuine, to confess our sins to them uh, when we when we were conscious of them, and then I think to um, try to bring them up in the Lord's ways, uh, to 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 love them, to invest in them personally. Family worship on a regular basis was important to us. Having meals together and then after dinner to read the Bible together, to pray with them, uh, to read books together. I think I read the the whole Chronicles of Narnia series through twice with them (laughs) when they're growing up. Those things were primary to invest in their spiritual lives. We would often have conversations on our dates about how they were doing, what we perceived, uh, where they were in relationship to God. And so that was primary, the, the spiritual sal- the salvation and maturation of our children in Christ. Anything you would add to that, honey? Yeah, we, I think having, we, we're in such a fa- fast-paced uh, world. Right. And there's so much information coming to us from all angles. So I think the one thing I would encourage parents to do is to slow down and do the necessary things, which would be to spend time having at least having meals together. We had breakfast and dinner together as a family. Mm-hmm. And we would have conversations with our children and talk about the news, what's happening in the news. But while we were doing that, we were always putting it into a Christian biblical perspective. So we were talking about the world and giving them a biblical worldview. Um, and then Chuck was so faithful. I can tell you honestly, even as a mature Christian woman, I there were times after dinner where I, you know, there were things to do, but he would have he had this the wonderful discipline to have family devotions. And I can't thank him enough for that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there are many, many things that could take our lives, uh, our attention, and mm-hmm. so much information out there. Mm-hmm. But I would say keep it simple. Mm. Make sure that you spend time together, talk mm. together, mm. and talk about the Lord together. That's great. So I, um, I, I know I talk to parents who beat themselves up over the the issue of family worship, right? Because in our minds, we all want to shoot for, strive for seven days a week. Mm. Uh, but in this fast paced world, Diana, as you just mentioned, that's often difficult to to pull off. As parents, were y'all shooting for a couple of times a week, or were you uh, able to to do seven? Or what what was the uh, the balance y'all were trying to strike there? My wife's memory about details is always much better than mine. What did you do? <laughs> yes. right? Well, I know this. Chuck would always go out. This was his pattern. I'm, I praise the Lord for it. He would go out early in the morning, six o'clock in the morning, and he would go out and have his quiet time. Mm. He would get some work done. We would have our children get up. And they had a routine that included Bible reading and prayer. And then we would all meet at a certain time for breakfast every morning. Mm. And then um, I do remember Chuck sometimes would read a chapter from a book or whatever. Mm. Uh, but it was at most of the time at, at dinner, after dinner, we would have family devotions. And he was a very consistent man. I can't say it was seven days a week all the no, time for sure. Certainly, it was a priority. I'd say a majority of the the, the days or evenings. And mm-hmm. We didn't hit it seven for no. seven, but but it, we had a higher goal than one or two. Yeah. We tried to do it every every time. Yeah, and then I think uh, a, a second point next to family devotions and guarding family time. And I might say just a couple of things we have in the Bible: the story of Martha and Mary 
it very is very applicable to our day. Martha was, as Jesus said, you're worried and bothered about so many things. Mm. One thing is necessary, and Mary has chosen the better part. And if you know the story from Luke 10, Mary was seated at Jesus' feet, quietly listening to him. And we can be worried and bothered about so many things. And in this age of, of multiple dimensions of communication, the internet and social media, I'm struck by, I think it's third John, where John in that primitive age says, I have many things to write to you, but I want, I prefer face to face and not FaceTime, but face to face. There's no substitute for interpersonal time together. Don't let social media crowd out that, that personal time. The next thing that was important to us is, is church, because in the Bible, the, the life of a, a healthy biblical church is vital to healthy Christian living and healthy family living. And so not simply because I was a pastor, I think I, I hope I would have done this if I wasn't, but we wanted to make church life central so that the meetings of the church on the Lord's Day, prayer meeting during the week as we had it, this was a priority for us. Um, it, it's, it's something that we did because we realized that the church, the gatherings of the church are an important means of grace, grace or means of growth for us mm-hmm. as Christians. Mm-hmm. And we wanted to raise our children with that discipline. And that, of course, had a bearing upon athletics and other activities, which maybe we'll get to in a few minutes. Sure. Um, moving from that, if I may, I think the third thing was, as relates to parenting, we, we really wanted to know what has, I like to put it this way, what has God packaged in each of our children? Mm. Each of them is unique. What skills, what talents, what interests, what passions lie within each of them? And we wanted to discover those. And then we wanted to encourage and develop those in each child, but within certain boundaries. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And if I can state those boundaries, I think um, one boundary was our financial resources. I think we have an illustration in in each case. Uh, You know, our our financial resources were limited. Mm -hmm. And I think the case with our daughter and her interest in horseback riding illustrates that. Yes, it was. You know, we have another athlete in our family, and that's our daughter, uh, Valerie. And uh, she was a wonderful soccer player as well. She was had actually had an edge because she was practicing soccer with her brothers. Okay. So that gave her an edge on the field with girls. (laughs) Right. And uh, and she loved horses. She had a wonderful passion for horses, and she was a great. So we 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 had um, we wanted to explore and and help their children with their passions and talents. But there is where the horseback riding in particular, it was, uh, she would have loved to have had a horse. And I used to have to explain to her, her little broken heart, Valerie, you know, we don't have the money for a horse and horses take about three hours of, you know, maintenance and care every day. And our schedule and where we are in life, we cannot devote to a horse in that way. So we did the best we could. And there was a, an older teenager um, they gave her lessons. Mm. And, um, so we tried, we went as far as we could to provide, but she could have been a wonderful equestrian. It was something Mm. we had to take into consideration our economy as a family. Mm. Mm. And so it was not a child run home in that sense where we had to say, it broke my heart to have to say no to something that was a talent and a passion. 
but we couldn't afford it time-wise or money-wise. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then another constraint or a guideline was our, our time priorities. Mm-hmm. And again, we weren't going to run helter-skelter with all kinds of activities so that it, it, we didn't want it to violate family time and church time. And we had a strong Lord's Day conviction, and that mm-hmm. impinged on um, our children's participation in sports. And, and for Jeremy, he didn't play on Sunday. And maybe we'll get to that. that. To many people, that said, you'll never become a professional soccer player because you don't play on the elite teams which play on Sunday. Right, right. The Olympic development team in our area that was always on Sundays. And people were specifically from different angles telling Jeremy, you'll never make it. Because you're not on this team. Mm. And that was the thing that that really, one of the things that uh, impacted me the most in talking with him is just, uh, if the Lord wills that Mm. we will do something, providentially it's going to happen, right? And and so against all of the advice that he received, that y'all received, that it's impossible to do this if you don't sell out and, and give yourself over to Sunday and Wednesday, uh, yes. contrary to all of that, the Lord saw it through. And yes. saw that you know, Jason, I have often encouraged women in their parenting years when they'll say, oh, we don't have time to go to church here or there, or we don't have time to go to a prayer meeting. Uh, and then they'll make a long list of excuses. And one might be, well, that's our family time. And, um, and I'll often say, you know, God will never beat you up mm-hmm. or, or give you the short end if you devote your family to going to some stated meetings on Sunday or go to a prayer meeting, he mm. will make it up mm. to you well right. beyond. Yes. Amen. So I like Amen. to encourage people that way because they can come up with wonderful excuses. <laughs> at some point, we have to be, um, you know, Mary-like. And yeah. And right. I would say, though, we did provide for him the best training possible. And again, God's providence is another factor that is huge. And, and re- near us is the United Sports Training Center, where they brought in some very excellent coaches from Great Britain. And we did provide for him the when we realized he has a skill. Yeah. This could lead to a, sco- a college scholarship. This will help us. We wanted to foster it. So we did provide for him the best training we could find, but within the parameters of our conviction. Sure. We go to six hours down to Virginia Beach to a, a weekend tournament. I'd go down. I'd watch him. And we we drive back Sunday night. Wow! To church on Sunday. Saturday. Saturday. Saturday I'm sorry. Saturday night to go to church on Sunday. Wow! Here again, we should give credit to the grace of God. Um, Jeremy could have become embittered. Mm. Might not have made it. And there, we're grateful for something we can't control. Right. Grace of God in his heart mm. made it difficult, but made him amenable to it. Mm. And maybe that's why God did bless him in spite of that seeming handicap. And, um, well, it was because God gave the grace because, you know, I, we were talking about how we could do everything right and children can still be embittered or you Mm. could do things with the, you know, and sin against them. We're just not, none of us are, we're all sinful. Mm -hmm. And, um, it is just, we love to point to how merciful God works in spite of us. And, we can't, I think anybody who's been a parent past the age of three, <laughs> with their children being age of three, knows that they can't sweet, make a child sweet. Right. Uh, right. You know, we can, we can give them the boundaries. We can do the best we can. But uh, that mm. temperament, um, we need God's grace mm. for mm. it. And um, 
Another so well factor said. is the providence of God in raising our children. So whereas God didn't give us money to buy a horse, God gave my wife the skill of violin playing. Mm. And so she determined when Valerie was five, she's going to teach her the violin. Now, that didn't mean that we were going to force upon Valerie, you must be a violinist because mom is. Right. But it, it turned out that it, was a, it worked, and she is a professional violinist to this day, mm. and it saved us a lot of money. <laughs> I heard it have free violin <laughs> Right. So it was something we said, okay, we have this to give. Let's try it. Now, we tried my one son with cello. Did you try Jeremy with piano? Yeah, I did. It didn't last very long. So they weren't going to be musicians, and we weren't going to force that. But with Valerie, it worked. And then with my son, Chuck, he had an interest in visual arts and arts. And it, my fellow pastor was a graphic uh, designer. Mm. And in God's providence, we had wonderful tutoring for Chuck in that mm. field. Wow. So at one point I said I had a fiddler, a footballer, and a filmmaker. <laughs> um, nice. I love the alliteration. And then there was one more angle. There were times when we couldn't give to our children what God chose to give. So for example, in high school, my daughter had a passion to learn Spanish and she mm. even had an aspiration to be a missionary. And at the time we had taken in a, a child who was a young adult actually, who was going through post-traumatic stress and she really needed 24 mm. hour care um, mm. for a long length of time. So it was at that season where my husband's a pastor I'm homeschooling three teenagers, and now I have uh, somebody that needs extreme care mm -hmm. in my home. And that's when Valerie wanted to learn Spanish. And I wasn't able to find a Spanish teacher easily in that mix of things. So we prayed. Mm -hmm. And amazingly, God provided one of the finest Spanish tutors for her that wow. insisted on doing it for free, though we didn't tell told him nothing of our circumstance. And within nine months, Valerie was speaking. What he said was very fluently. Wow. Um, so there's wow. where God put us in a circumstance where we could not provide something good for our child, no matter which way we turned. Mm -hmm. And yet we prayed. Mm -hmm. And he came around and just gave it in such a, a way. And I didn't even have to, to uh, drive her to the lessons. It was wow. perfect. Yeah. Wow. It was a, a college professor, Christian, who was doing his doctorate on how you can become fluent in a year. Wow. <laughs> just a handful of homeschool students tutored them personally, and then she ended up writing a testimony for his doctoral thesis. And what a gift. Amazing. Of course, that's something we didn't see at the time. We prayed, and it, and it appeared, you know. Sure, right. That's what God does. And so Amen. even when we can't afford, or for one reason or another, we're occupied and other things, we might have a handicapped child or a lot of demands. We press, you know, we pray to God. And uh, if he wants that child to speak Spanish, they will speak Spanish. Amen. And if he wants that child to be an athlete, if we honor him, he, he honored that passion in Jeremy's heart. Wow. And made him a pastor. And I think 1 Corinthians 4, 7 says, Paul says as a rebuke to the Corinthians, what do you have that you haven't received? Mm. If you received it, why do you boast as if you had not received it? And something we want to live by and inculcate into our children is whatever good God has given you, whatever good comes out of you, it's a gift of God. Mm. And, and not to glory in themselves. 
So Jeremy, you know, our children, by, by God's grace, have excelled in each of their spheres. Um, and Jeremy, whom you know, you know, did excel in soccer. But we wanted to make it clear to him that um, it's, it's the grace of God. And uh, as I think he indicated, when he did well in a game, um, I would say, well, God really helped you. Right. There was one occasion where he made a save by his fingertips. <laughs> I said, you played well. I said, so did the angel. <laughs> with you because, right. you know, it was just God. Like he said, you know, it, a few inches makes the difference between being the hero or being the goat. Right. And um, just to remind them, as we want to remind ourselves, if there's anything good, it's, it's because of God's help and God's mm. grace because pride is a great enemy to our, our souls and, and robs God of glory. Yes, it does. And certainly so with our parenting, because we're sinners. Mm-hmm. And um, sadly, you know, we had patterns of how we did things, perspectives of how we did things that we didn't know could be improved until maybe it was all done. And then we look back and think, oh, you know, mm-hmm. we, we regret. Uh, how we did this, or we regret how we did that. And if we've asked our children for forgiveness for many things, um, it's not a, you know, it's in spite of us. Um, You know, we just have to, we have to sit at Jesus's Mm. feet Mm. and Mm. worship the Lord and, and use those means of grace, which would be times of reading the word, times of prayer, daily devotions. Um, Certainly being part of the best church we can find mm. where there's good preaching and good fellowship and uh, being a good church member. And, uh, mm. you know, we work on those things, but we're never perfect at those things. And, um, mm. Mm. you know, we could go, we could be 90 years in the Lord and still look back and say, oh, you know, with all that mm. Experience, we've done things wrong. Right. Yeah, and and for those parents whose job is done as parenting, we we don't get a redo. Uh, we, we can be wise grandparents, hopefully. But I would reiterate what Diana said that it is good as we're made aware of our our imbalances and some of our failures. We can go back to our children and say to them, you know, looking back with the wisdom of years, we realized we were, we were unbalanced here. Mm. We regret that. Mm. Will you forgive us? Mm. And that can help um, preclude bitterness in their hearts yeah. uh, because we all have failures. And, and yet God gives us to parent when we're in our 20s and 30s, not when we're in our 60s and 70s. Right, right, right. exactly. Um, so I do recommend to parents what we have done. In fact, at one point near the end of our parenting, we were reading Lou Priolo's book, The Heart of Anger, mm-hmm. and he has a section where 25 ways that parents provoke their children to anger. Wow. And we took two family worships, and we went through those 25, and our children were maybe 18, 20, 22, and it was near the, the finish line. And we, want, and we said, we want you to evaluate us. How did we do in these areas? Now, they would have much more perspective even later than that. But I think for us to humble ourselves, admit our, our, our failures, our imbalances, can help our relationship to our adult children. Mm, that's great. That's so helpful. And by God's grace, uh, you are grandparents now. Any thoughts on how you might grandparent uh, and how your parenting skills uh, might influence and, and uh, affect how you grandparent? Well, you know, like Chuck just said, we're trying to keep our relationship real. Mm and uh in christ and because of that i think it just our our 
relationships with our children and with our daughter-in-law is a continual conversation. It's, um, and we talk about the things of the Lord. And so because I think we're real and we, we do admit our wrongs by, by the grace of God as we see them, um, it's easier for us to talk to one another and be real with one another and to take counsel with sure. one another. That's they take counsel with us, and we bounce things off of them too. Yeah. That's a wonderful part of wow. having, being parents of adult children, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. So we do have a beautiful relationship with mm-hmm. our adult children, mm-hmm. and um, they do. And then we're we're able to speak into their lives as far as their parenting or mm-hmm. whatever. Um, they're just getting into it. Our Felicity is now nineteen months old, so mm-hmm. they've got. Wow. I think we need to remind ourselves that they are the parents and we're the grandparents and we're in the role of counselor, mm. mostly mm-hmm. when, when that counsel is asked. And yeah. a lot depends on have we earned the trust of our children so that they want our counsel. Wow. In Jeremy's case, we're grateful to God that we have that relationship. And, and he, with Ginger. And with Ginger. Really oh, yeah. They, they do seek our counsel, but, but we're, we don't want to intrude upon their parenting. Right. But we're available as counselors. Um, and of course, you get to enjoy them. Uh, <laughs> That's in, great. Without without some of the responsibility, but a lot of the enjoyment. This this has been such a helpful conversation for me. Uh, I know that uh, the listeners will be encouraged uh, by your insight, your wisdom, and uh, as well again uh, to hear about Swan. And so, I just want to thank y'all again for taking the time to come on Reclamation Worship, and uh, grateful you. for your time. Thank you, Jason. Thank you, Jason. Well, again, that was Chuck and Diana Volo. If you would like more information on Swan, please visit reclamationworship.com. Click on their episode and you will find information in the show notes. If this episode or other episodes of Reclamation Worship have been helpful to you, please share them with your friends and neighbors and your folks at church. Uh, That is the best way to help me grow this podcast, and I really appreciate you getting the word out there. You can also go to iTunes and subscribe to Reclamation Worship. Leave us a rating and a review. Uh, Find us on Instagram, at Reclamation Worship. We are also on Facebook, at Reclamation Worship. Uh, Give us a follow. Give us a like. Uh, Find us on Twitter, at Reclamation HQ, and follow us there. Until next time, Soli Deo Gloria.